0: Welcome to the Seek Forgiveness Podcast.
1: In this week's podcast, Sandy Kor speaks to Suki Tassan, a campaigner, activist, and survivor of domestic abuse. Suki shares her experiences of life as a South Asian woman in the UK who suffered with domestic abuse and the dissolution of a marriage following a long separation. She draws on her experiences in order to highlight some of the issues that women face around coercion coercive control, violence and stigma from family and wider South Asian communities. As a result of her experience, she's a campaigner and gives voice to other women seeking support for domestic violence. Elements of this podcast can be distressing, so take breaks if you need to and come back to it when you can. Thank you.
0: Hi Suki, thank you for joining myself Sandy from Seek Forgiveness today for our podcast surrounding domestic violence. How are you?
2: I'm okay thank you, how are you?
0: Yeah I'm good thank you, a bit cold but yeah. UK weather I suppose.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't expect anything less.
0: <laughs> no I mean to be honest we have had very good weather um, this year compared to any of any other year. But yeah, December definitely.
2: Wise. Yeah, definitely. It's just a shame that we haven't been able to enjoy it as uh, we have in previous years, but hopefully, fingers crossed, that will soon change.
0: For sure. Hopefully, fingers crossed. So tell yeah. me a little bit more about your your journey.
2: Um, so I recently have started a uh, social media page on... Um, Instagram called I Am Courageous Um, it is it's basically like a diary that I write in um, and I kind of open it up to the public so it's about my journey like you said uh, regards to domestic violence Um, it's it I decided to share my story because um, I didn't realize um, until quite recently That taking the step to leave a partner over domestic violence, like how hard it actually is. I used to think, you know, when you're in your own bubble, you think it's all about you and you think it's, you know, the worst thing that can ever happen. And when you start hearing about other individuals who have gone through the same experience with regards to domestic violence, but are still in the relationship or, you know, or have recently left or, um, left many years ago. Whatever, whatever you know, whatever their journey is up until now, um, it's it, it. was a concept that I really related to, and what I did find was a lot of individuals who are still in that situation is they didn't have anyone to talk to. I myself, I deliberately um, kept my struggles away from my family. Um, I am um, I'm, I'm one of four daughters. Um, I've grown up in a family where I haven't been treated any different to the boys in my family. So it's always been, um, you know, headstrong, um, educate yourself. You know, you are just enough, you know, you're enough as a girl compared to a boy, if not more. And so we never had that differentiation in my family at all. Um, so I've been very headstrong. I've been very uh, opinionated, as well and um and i've always had um that kind of mindset where you know a determination so if i want to do something i will set about doing it and i will make sure that i get what i want in the end um and then kind of becoming the person that i did during my marriage um and then coming out of it the other end um, i i I struggled to kind of talk to anybody about it. I used to, um, you know, I I never wrote anything down. I never spoke to anyone about it. It was just, it was really, really difficult. Had I think I spoke, had I have spoken to somebody about it, maybe I would have left sooner. Um, And so it was just as much a shock to a lot of people reading my story as it was to my family when I first told them. And, And after I told them, I felt so, so much better i like i felt like liberated by telling my family that what was happening to me and the support and love that i got from them was absolutely amazing i was not expecting it for some reason i had got it in my mind and i don't know if it was you know kind of the manipulation from my marriage as well that you know my family would not support me but i had absolutely no reason not to think you know to kind of think that but i created this um, story in my head that they would not kind of take my side, they would not support me they would not kind of let me back into their house or anything like that because you hear about all these stories going on and you think you're just going to become one of them and, uh, and the reason for me starting this page was so that I could um, help other women um, originally it was just going to be domestic violence but obviously there's a lot more taboo subjects that we as an Asian community don't talk about um, so I, I wanted to be able to kind of support women in, in the sense that where they just want to offload to somebody, they want to do it anonymously or just over, you know, social media with myself privately, via direct messages, whatever it is, it's just talking about it, having someone relate to your own situation, telling you that, you know, it's okay to feel the way you're feeling because I've been through it myself and actually there are ways to deal with this, there are ways to get help, there are ways to leave the situation that you're in or, you know, if it's not domestic violence, there is other situations where, you know, it, there is a, a compelling enough reason to leave your partner that you still have the ability to work on your relationship and eliminate these factors that are kind of disheartening you or putting you into, you know, modes of depression um, and anxiety. So that, that was basically... Um, the reason for me starting my page
0: um when d- when did this all begin
2: so my journey with um some actual domestic violence journey
0: the struggles with your partner and then into uh, yeah um
2: so if i'm honest i so I think it was about. So I got married in July 2011, and um, probably about a week before my wedding, um, I met my ex. You know, because we knew we wouldn't see each other for about a week or so, and um, and we and we got ourselves into a bit of a situation, and um, and it became you know, it got quite aggressive quite quickly, and um, and and he kind of. Um, You know, kind of like grabbed my collar because I'd just come back from work, so I was wearing my shirt and trousers, and he grabbed my collar, and that kind of set alarm bells ringing for me. But because I was in that bubble and I was besotted with him, I was I was in love with him. I just put it down to right, we're both stressed out from the wedding plans, and um, it's just getting on top of us. That's just a one-off, so I dismissed it. I kind of went home. I went about you know the arrangements for our wedding everything went as well as they could have and then fast forward kind of um I think it was about nine months so it was in I got married in July and then the following year April um I um we, we were having a, a conversation um about um money and um and I was just suggesting you know that we uh, um, start saving together because it would be good and you know we can invest in things and whatnot and um, and it took you know I found out on that day that he was actually investing with members of his family but you know he had every excuse why he couldn't invest with me but he was investing with members of his family and I kind of questioned that and I questioned it and because um, I come from a household where you know partners do everything together um in in terms of financials and I just found it really strange that my husband wouldn't want to save with me he'd want to save with somebody else and and I didn't know whether that was an insecurity that you know financial insecurity I didn't know but I wanted to talk to him about it because it was concerning for me and um but he was just having none of it and that kind of situation escalated to that's when that was the first time he raised his hand on me um and I was in absolute shock um, because. I've come from a very, very, very loving family, and like I come from a household where um, the men in our household um, don't even shout at us girls. Like we are basically apples of their eyes, and they won't even raise their voice at us. So going going into a household where you're kind of a second rate citizen as a woman, um, I found I, I learned that over time, and then when he raised his hand on me. I didn't know what to do. I was standing there in shock and shaking. And I was screaming at him, asking him why he's just done that. And he carried on. And I've, I've kind of run up the stairs to kind of protect myself. Um, and, uh, and he's run up behind me and he's carried on with his, um, with his physical abuse. And, um, and, and that was the first instance. And, I I remember that day very vividly because once it was a, because one it was the first time and two it was my sister's thirtieth birthday the next day, and um, he was very clever in how he, um, or he was very conscious shall I say, of uh, where he hit me um, because he never touched my face. Um, well, he did, I wouldn't say never touched my face. He didn't touch my face those first few years. Um, because it would be invisible to other people so my body was covered in bruises but my face looked like there was nothing wrong with me so um, I that situation kind of ended with his family just saying come over to our house you know my in-laws used to live next door to me come over to our house don't worry he'll be okay Um, but in the meantime he's manipulated me so much that I was the one who went back and apologized to him for him hitting me and I I continued that cycle. I continued to apologize every time he raised his hand on me Um, and it just became the norm. Um, He'd get angry over anything, he'd lash out on me, I would I invent my anger in, by screaming or shouting or pleading and it wouldn't you know it wouldn't be fruitful at all and um and it would just end with me saying sorry um, I'm sorry I made you do that and and then it's kind of do you want something to eat Shall I make you something to eat and then you just go about your day again and it was looking back at it I'd I'd let him normalize it so much um that it makes me angry sometimes just thinking about it, but how I allowed him to do that, how I lied him to get into my head, that I thought it was my fault. And I think one thing that all domestic violence victims need to remember is it is not your fault. It is not your fault if someone has raised their hand on you. There are ways of resolving an issue. There are ways of resolving an argument. Talking is the best way. Or if you need mediation from family, that's another way. But the minute you raise your hand, you take that responsibility for the consequences. If the consequences are your partner walks away, that's what it is. If the consequences are that they call the police on you and you get arrested, you get charged, that is on that person, that is on the perpetrator, that is not on the victim at all.
0: Mm, that's, that's... yeah. Um, how... It's a lot to experience in just um, such a short space of time into a, into a marriage. Um, yeah. How were your, were your in-laws aware of the situation?
2: Yes, they were. They were aware every single time he raised his hand on me. Um, But I was also made aware by him that he's grown up in abuse as well. So, you know, his his own grandparents, um, you know, they would kind of raise their hand on their wives. His own father would raise his hand on his wife. So he's grown up around that. So for them, it was a normal way of living. Um, whereas for me, it was the complete opposite. Like, you would never find a, a, a male family member raise their voice at any of us girls or women or anything. Mm. Um, kind of, um, yeah. So we, we, he's grown up in it. So they knew everything. They knew every time he raised his hand and it was just kind of, oh, don't worry. Just give him a bit of space. He'll be fine tomorrow. But it was never what you know. they ask him, what you're doing, what you're doing that for, and then he'd start getting aggressive with them, and then before you know it, it's it's just it. It was just a waste of time. It's just a waste of time trying to tell somebody you're trying to get help from them, and I think the responses that I got from them, um, kind of just made me give up. Just made me give up that you know no one's going to help me, no one's going to do anything about it. It is just let's sweep it under the carpet and, uh, pretend it hasn't happened.
0: Have you, um, did any of your relatives or friends ever notice the change in your, your personality or your
2: behaviors? Believe it or not, no, because I, um, I would like to say I was a very good, I was very good at portraying a happy marriage. I'd learnt kind of the skill of acting in that sense where um, I, you know, I used to, I, I mentioned it on my page as well when I first saw my story that my younger sister would, would kind of say to me, hashtag couple goals. And that is something that I would carry on doing. And You know, all my friends, my cousins, they all thought the same as well. And when I did have that conversation with all of, you know, when I eventually did, them. I, I, I recall telling my best friend um, that this is my situation and uh, we'd booked a weekend away actually in London at that time and, uh, and I thought and, and she was asking me questions about him and I'd already left him by that stage but I hadn't told him, told her sorry and um, she was asking me questions and this is my best friend who I spoke to every single day and I eventually, so we went We went by train, and I thought, well, this could be a two and a half hour journey. I think it would be a good time to have this conversation with her, and I had this conversation with her, and, and you know, one, you know, she she was kind of, she was having an emotional breakdown in front of me, and and I, as well as at the same time, she was angry at me that I hadn't told her anything, and she wished she could have done something about it, and, and that's how a lot of my family felt as well. They wished they could have helped me, they wished they could have done something about it, but it was my decision not to tell anybody. So that onus is on me. It's not on anyone else. So I always tell my family, my friends, don't ever feel guilty that you couldn't help me because I made that decision not to tell you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, when you're experiencing such a high level of um, emotional abuse as well as physical you try to do the best for everyone except yourself.
2: Yeah, yeah. you um, always look to protect everybody else but yourself. Um, it's like you continue to break yourself down. Um, now for me, I just wanted to protect my family. I wanted mm. to protect them from the hurt that I was experiencing. You know, I knew my parents finding out that I would have been beaten by my husband would break them. Like, I know, I don't have any children myself, um, but, even just thinking of my nephews and nieces, if anyone ever laid a hand on them, I know that would break me, so i can 't even contemplate what a parent would feel like um, so it you know it was a way that I wanted to protect them i didn 't want to tell them that this was happening to me because I wanted them to be comfortable knowing that i 'm okay when you know actually i wasn 't
0: How did you take this step into? standing against the physical abuse when was when was enough when it was enough for you
2: um enough for me was probably um well not probably it was February the 15th 2018 so the day after Valentine's Day um that for me was my breaking point it was um we I, I think I just picked him up from work or something like that and um yeah, on the journey home he was um he, he was obviously wound up frustrated about something and you know I was kind of trying to calm him down appease you know appease him and you know kind of um de-escalate the situation because he was getting quite aggressive and he was swearing raising his voice and um and because I wasn't agreeing with some of the things he was saying he kind of turned on me this is whilst we're driving home and uh, and I've gone um anyway, so we're halfway through our journey and then he's just got out at the traffic lights and he said, I'll make my own way home. And I thought, right, okay. And I I asked him a couple of times to get back in, but he wouldn't. So then I just went home. I had, um, two dogs at home as well as, um, my husband's granddad. And, uh, so I've gone inside the house and, um, and he, you know, an hour or so later he's come into the house and, um, all I heard him do is start shouting at the dogs, and I um, and then I heard one of the dogs yelp, and um, I've gone downstairs and I could see that he's kicking them and hitting them, and um, to get out of the house basically because they're outdoor dogs, mm. but um, he was pushing them out of the back door to get them out of the house, and uh, and I kind of stood in front of him and I said, you know, what are you doing? Why are you hitting them for? I was like you know, protecting the dogs because, you know, there might have been, you know, there were Japanese Akitas and they're quite big dogs, but they're only two years old. So to me, they were still babies. And mm. and um and it was my job as their owner to protect them. So I kind of um stood in between them and then he just said, okay, well, I'll turn, you know, I'll, I'll start with you then. And I thought, okay, what's this about? And I said, well, what's the matter? And then he just started lashing out on me. And then I, kind of said to him, you know, let's just calm down. There's nothing to get worked up about. Um, this, you know, situation, it, it's just not going to end well. And, and I could see the look in his eyes and I knew as soon as I saw the look in his eyes that it doesn't matter what I say or do right now, it's not going to change. I know what the outcome is going to be. Um, and I kind of ran towards the living room, but he'd got a hold of me. And that's it. And he just absolutely went for me. Um it's probably that that was the worst um, violence that I had endured from him um even at one point his 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 granddad he's he 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 had dementia and um and you know kind of so with him his mental health wasn't there completely um but even he heard and he kind of he he 's not he wasn't very stable on his feet and um and he's kind of come and start shouting, saying, Leave the girl alone, leave the girl alone. And my uh, you know, my ex has turned around and just said to him, Well, if you don't shut up, I'm gonna start on you as well. And that's when I was like, No way, is he gonna start hitting his 18-year-old granddad now? And um, and then I've tried to protect myself, but it was no good. And and then as he's taken his granddad back to his room, I've run up the stairs. And then he's chased me up the stairs, and he's carried on with his abuse. Um, and then I managed to free myself and go into the bathroom. And then I dialed the number to the police. And he said to me, "Because if police come in this house, he goes, that's the end of you and me." And but I was past that then, and I just thought, I don't even really care anymore because you. I always used to say to him every time he'd, every time he'd raise his hand on me. I always used to say to him, don't push me past the point that I stopped caring. And and he, and he always said to me, I don't care, do what you want. And I think this was that point where I'd stopped caring. And I said, I don't care anymore. I don't care. Who knows? I don't care what happens to you. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care what happens to us. So I rang the police. Um, and um, yeah, and I rang, my, I rang my sister and my brother-in-law. And um, both, both sisters, both brother-in-laws, and they all came round and... At that point that's when he was being arrested and taken away and they said what the hell have you been doing and the only thing he had to say for himself was yeah I hit her and he walked out and that that was kind of um the end of that he he begged to reconcile many a time um and you know to talk to sort things out but i was like no absolutely no way like you have I've just spent seven years enduring your abuse. There's absolutely no reason why now you would change. You were never going to change, and I used to think it was. Um, is something that I touch up on quite a lot. Is I used to think I could fix him, um, but during that period, I realised that he was never my problem to fix.
0: Mm. I think sometimes um, we, we just want to do the best by the people we care about. Um. Um, as we, have, we have hope Yeah,
2: we have hope that they'll change we have it's a false hope or a false sense of security that they will change um, but by allowing them to continue that behaviour we're normalising it and we're letting them know that it's okay to treat people like that
0: what were your um, sisters and brother-in-law's reaction when you gave them that call
2: um, I was literally crying and um um, and my older brother in law just said, he, he just, I, I rang him and I said, he's just been beating me up. And he said, what? And I said, he has just beaten me up. And I said, and this isn't the first time. And my brother in law just said, I'm coming. And he put the phone down. And, and I, so I didn't even speak to my older sister. I didn't speak to my other sister, my other brother in law. Like within about 10 minutes, they were all there. How did that make you
0: feel at the time?
2: I was relieved. I was so relieved when I saw them, like nobody was allowed in the living room that I was in and all this family was standing outside the living room and um, and my family came in and my sisters just hugged me, my brother-in-laws were outside talking to the police, talking to his parents, talking to, you know, um, his family, like, you know, what the hell is going on here? Like, have you seen the state of her in there? Like, you know, you can't really justify your actions. And, um, but we didn't meet my mum and dad because my mum and dad were living in, living about 45 minutes away from me. Mm. And I didn't want my mum and dad to make that journey up to be, you know where I was living to see the state of their daughter. So I didn't meet them, I didn't tell them, we didn't do anything. And then um, my my elder sister took me back to um, her house and then we ran my parents' and uh, And then we just told him what had happened, and my parents came and collected me so whilst i was whilst I was still at my house um I was being interviewed you know kind of interviewed by the police uh, in the meantime, my sisters were packing my clothes for me
0: since that incident and his arrest have has there been any communication or
2: are you- um that there- there has been some communication from his from him, but that was unwanted communication. Um, he turned up at my place of work. He turned up at my home address. Um, <coughs> sorry, um, to talk to me, and then you know he'd just start shouting and swearing at me. Um, and then he turned up. Um, I think once uh, I was at work, and he turned up to the city where my parents live. And he was just driving around and, you know, I have got quite a large family in, in the city where my parents live. So it wasn't going to be long before he spotted one of my family members, and which he did. And he kind of just stopped their car in the middle of the road and um, blocked their way so they couldn't move. And he just said, you know, where, where's Suki? And uh, my cousins turned around and said, I don't know. And he's like, are you sure you don't know where she is? And she's like, yeah. And he said, cause if I find out you're lying, and my cousin's like very shaken up. She was with my niece as well. They're both very shaken up, like, what, what's going on here? So he was quite he, – he didn't think twice about carrying on the torture, maybe not in a physical way anymore, but, you know, mentally he was still trying to torture me. Um, so I ended up um, last year um, getting a uh, molestation order against him via the court's. Um, so that he's not allowed to communicate with me or his family's not allowed to communicate with me either. Wow. I'm so sorry to
0: hear what you have gone through, but now it just seems as though you're in such a strong and stable position. Mm. What gave you the drive to now share your story?
2: Um, I think I think it was, like I said earlier, it's... The fact that I felt like at the time I didn't have anyone to speak to. I didn't know who to speak. Even if somebody, a stranger had come up to me and said, are you okay? You don't look okay. I think I probably would have just poured my heart out. And it was just, I just needed that someone to say, how are you? Is something wrong? Everything okay? And I probably would have just spoke. Um, And I think that's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now, because I want to be that voice for those people.
0: How do how do people um, so like loved ones and friends and family look out for signs? Though as you said in earlier, you had become so skilled at being the happy couple. Um, if if others have also learnt that skill, would Asking twice and checking up on you—would that have made a difference for you?
2: I think checking in with people a lot more. Um, Definitely, it's noticing when someone's quiet. You know, if you've got group chats going on and somebody is not contributing as much as they normally do, or um, or they seem, you know, kind of um, very quiet. And you know, when there's family occasions, or um, if you're having family meetups, or your friends are meeting up, and and you know they're they're bringing excuses as to why they can't meet you or why they can't join you, little things like that it's just or you know any behavior that you think is maybe kind of out of the ordinary for them um you know, and a lot of the times I think like i i if somebody looked me in the if my dad or my mom looked me in the eye and said, "Are you okay?" I would have broken down. I avoid I avoided the eye contact a lot, and I used if someone asked me if I was okay, I would immediately answer yes, fine. How are you? What's going on with you? Kind of deflect a lot of deflection of uh, asking you know if someone asks me questions. So it's things like that that you need to kind of look out for or keep checking in with a person. Um, you know, even on my social media now, I you know I speak to hundreds of people um, via my page. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of individuals who who maybe are a little bit quiet on their social media and I'll drop a message. I'll say, are you okay? I haven't heard from you for a few days or your social media is very quiet. Mm. Um, I hope everything's okay. And, you know, and nine times out of 10, there is actually an issue. And, you know, they will talk to me about it, but it's just asking them, you know, and and that's kind of a role that I've taken that I'm quite happy to do that. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's very hard though, because a lot of our community, our, our culture is based on not talking about things. It's, it's based on, you know, kind of, uh, let's just pretend that everything's okay. Let's portray to the world, our community, our families, that everything is absolutely amazing. You know, we have this beautiful house, this flash cars, uh, these designer bags, but actually, you don't know how much hurt is behind that. You don't yeah. know. Yeah, you I d- think. You- w-
0: yeah, we've, we've we've kind of become a society that's more materialistic. Um, mm-hmm. And as you as you said, you know your your ex family was used to that that form of abuse. Um, and they must have stuck with um, their partners So, for some or... people,
2: it's normal. For others, it's not. For me, it was absolutely not normal whatsoever.
0: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, they grow up, some people grow up with it thinking it's normal, but some people don't because they actually have that love and that connection and that bond based on communication, not in physical abuse or emotional um, manipulation. Yeah. Um, and having exactly. the, the strength to be able to. Say that's wrong is also something that, as an Asian community, we haven't really learned to to say. Say no, it's yeah. To say, just to correct somebody as well. Is we've also like we've just been um, we're just conditioned yes, yes, people. to say yeah. respect your elders, respect your partner, your 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 husband or your your male partner because they're superior or. Um, You know, you have to work on your relationships because marriage is for life. Um, It's it's always a...
2: The dialogue always is. If there's an issue, the first person that somebody will talk to is the woman and they'll say, "Um, you just keep quiet, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Mm. Nobody will ever go to the guy and say, you just keep quiet, everything's going to be okay, she'll calm down, she'll be okay. It's very rare that people say that. Um, Whereas, you know, that that was kind of the experience that I had, where it was just just keep quiet, just keep to yourself, just go and sleep in the spare room, and everything will be okay. And and I'm, I'm you know at the time I actually truly believed those words, and I look back at it now and I think, how was everything going to be okay if we've just brushed it under the carpet, if we're just totally ignoring it, if we're not holding the person accountable, how is it going to be okay?
0: So, did your in-laws ever? Uh sit down with you and your ex to have those conversations together or was it very much you you just need to leave him how he is and everything will be okay directly yeah that's
2: it yeah okay. definitely that's it yeah um and if I think I just try-
0: assume very much that women are more the understanding side and they'll be able to accept more yeah um, and change it, then actually Mm. allowing the the gentleman to change and having that conversation
2: with him. But both of you as well? Um, I think um, in in their family, it was obviously mm. the women who put up with it. They shut up and they put up with it. Mm. Um, And so it was expected that I would put up and shut up as well. Well, Mm. actually, you know, I'm like I keep saying, I've come from a house, a very loving house. Like my dad, to this day, has probably never raised his voice at me and the couple of times he's tried to raise his voice at me he starts laughing because he doesn't know how to be strict with us girls and um so i've come from that type of household where i can have a very open and honest conversation with my family um you know i can sit there and have an alcoholic drink with my dad um it's it's kind of that understanding and loving relationship that we all share to go into a household where you know kind of like i said you're a second-rate citizen you you are supposed to be seen not heard
1: sick forgiveness for launch mental health Ki on the a transformative translation guide that looks to explore and explain common mental health issues in a way that Sikh and Punjabi speaking communities can understand if you'd like to find out more please visit sickforgiveness.com if you're in the uk you can purchase directly from the website if you're looking to purchase internationally please check out amazon
0: is your mental health now
2: um so i have days where i probably i'm not too good um i my my page has been part of my healing process so i am still healing um i still have that connection um i feel with my ex because our divorce is still ongoing um and I think I will feel a big sense of relief once I once it's all finalised. But I feel like I've got, um, you know, it's just something hanging over my head right now and that kind of puts me at edge sometimes. Um, and, you know, like I said, I have my good days, I have my bad days. Um, but it's, it's really good to talk to people, really, really good to talk to people. This is, honestly, I think this page has helped me more in the last six weeks than... I have ha- I have kind of um, had in the last two years since I've left him. So you know the improvements that I've seen in myself over the last few weeks or so, it's been it's been massive for me. So I am um, as much as other people are appreciating my page and appreciating my openness and my honesty and my support. It's definitely the same feeling back towards everyone else as well. I absolutely appreciate. All the love the encouragement the empowerment everybody has given to me you know every single day I will get messages of somebody saying to me thank you so much for setting your page up thank you so much for sharing your details with us thank you so much for your support and even just listen to messages like that it's really heartwarming and that really helps me as well
0: that's amazing to hear um and and it's, I suppose you've become now a beacon and a light for others out there who haven't been maybe you're strong enough to make that decision yet?
2: Um, I I really do hope I have. Um, I do have days where um, I will think, why am I doing this? Am I actually helping somebody? Like, am I genuinely actually helping somebody? Or is it, am I just another page where people are just reading the stories and, and they're kind of going about their life? But is there somebody who actually is being helped by what they're reading off my page like a lot of people say they are, but I, I, you know, when you sometimes just think maybe they're just Mm. saying it to be nice. And, um, but luckily I have kind of, um, kind of contradicted myself there actually, because uh, I have had individuals who I've been speaking to, who have advised me that they have got out of. So I've had a couple of individuals who were going through domestic violence and they have told me that they have sought help for it. And they are in the process of leaving or have left. So um, that was very reassuring for me. Um, but that's, that's that. I think leaving is the hardest part. Mm. Um, but what, we, what sometimes they don't cater for is how it affects their mental health afterwards. And I suppose that's where counselling comes in. That's where support pages like mine come in um, to help these individuals overcome those battles as well.
0: What other supports have you had since um moving and starting your page
2: um to be honest I never really I never really asked for support I never so apart from my own families like listening Mm -hmm. to me talking to me I never like actually went out for professional help or anything like that I just uh, I'd got into a conversation with somebody who was sharing stories on their page and um and and she said to me you know why don't you share yours? And I said, Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe in a few months time, and, you know, about four or five weeks later, I was like, I want to share my story. Cause I actually feel it'd be really, really good for me. And, um, and it was, I felt such a sense of relief. Like I felt like such a burden had been released from me. Um, I coming from an Asian culture, you have a lot of people wanting to know what's going on in your life wanted to know, um, the downs more than the ups in in people's lives. It's almost like we thrive off it. We thrive off somebody else's downfall. That's how kind of sad and narrow-minded our culture has become, where if somebody is successful, we tend to ignore them. But the minute they're kind of going through a downward spiral, all of a sudden we're there with our popcorn, sitting back and watching it all unfold. And... um and I felt like maybe people were doing that to me and, you know, because people would ask, you know, where's your husband? Where's this? Where's that? And at that time I was thinking, well, actually it's none of your business. I don't want to say anything. So I'll just ignore it. And then I was like, well, actually a lot of people that I know we haven't um, had an open conversation. Uh, nobody, someone might, you know, to the day, some of my family, someone asked me, where's your husband? Um, they know, but they never had the conversation with me. Um, so, there's a lot of unanswered questions so I thought this would also be a great way of me putting it out there and letting anybody know who's curious about what my situation is that this is what it is and this is what had happened to me um and I you know that was one element of it as well but like I said the main element of me doing this was to help others
0: If I find your, I mean, I, I only came into contact with um, and saw your page through other volunteers and individuals who had shared your page and shared your journey mm. across through to Sick Forgiveness and um, it was it was heartbreaking to hear that this still goes on and women are still being subject to such violent abuse and communities were just brushing it under the carpet, as you mentioned, but hearing and seeing the strength that you've had through, I mean, people really don't give the the justice of what talking to your family can do for mm. somebody and having that strong community network. Um, I think it's it would have been different if, um some people don't always have that strong community and that strong family um bond to be able to have that support and have that that conversation and i think it's really important to to get those and as you mentioned have counseling seek that support um have a conversation with with somebody who might be in a similar position or where you saw a story or saw a page like mm. yours to have the courage to ask those questions and get some guidance because in, in the darkness of what you're experiencing, it's really hard to see the light. Yeah,
2: definitely. Um, Definitely. I, I, you know, I would still say a lot of us women here in the UK are still in a privileged position that we still have, like, I would still say we still have that little bit more courage than a lot of the women who have come from abroad and now live here so I reach out to a lot of those and they have reached out to me as well. So I'm talking about uh, women who have um, moved to the UK. So either from Pakistan or India um, as a result of marriage. And, um, you know, a lot of those women, they, their families are in India and Pakistan. They probably don't have their family over here. So at least a lot of us UK-born citizens we have a lot of our family here that we could go to for support. So that's why I say that we still are in a bit of more privileged, we're still in a little bit more of a privileged position than those who have come from uh, abroad because they they're not. some of them are not even educated in our laws, in the laws of our country. So they don't know what their rights are. So, you know, if if an individual from um, that background is being abused, um, they're kind of held against their will. They are being blackmailed, um, you know, if they try to speak out by saying, well, you know, we're going to send you back home to your parents," We're going to rip your passport up or we're going to do this. And, you know, they, they are blackmailed with circumstances like that. And they sit there relentlessly and they just keep going because they don't know anything different. They don't know that they have options here in the UK, that they are protected by our laws, whether they are a UK citizen or not.
0: Mm, yeah, that's that's uh, very, um, very true in, in a lot of boroughs, areas across the UK. Um, but there is supports available that they just need to be made aware of. And I think it's talks like mm. this, podcasts and going into places post-Covid, hopefully, where these conversations can happen in places like Gurdare and and places of faith and community centres, schools, where people are made aware of what to look out for. Because you might come across a parent or a friend or a colleague who might be experiencing this, but having the resources nearby, knowing that there's... um, charities like women's aid and refuge and um i think also there's a lot of faith-based charities out there who can yeah. support support mm. women and men because not only is they may not have any family a language barrier can be a massive um obstacle for them
2: oh, 100% yeah having yeah.
0: having that support in on a translation basis they want to be able to go to a place where they can talk to someone in their, in their own mother tongue to feel that comfort, to be able to explain in detail what it's going what's on. happening to
2: them. Yes. Yeah, because their first language is, if their first language is not English, they would really struggle. It's the same way some of our UK citizens don't know, you know, British, Asian, Sikhs. They don't know how mm. to speak Punjabi. Mm. It's not their first language. It's almost looking at that, that how would you communicate to someone in Punjabi if you don't know how to speak the language properly? That's the same predicament that they're in. Um, but not, you know, it's there usually when you're in, when you're in a situation where there's domestic violence, your first point of call is the police. And I still feel like our police are not educated enough on the matter of domestic violence within Asian communities. They still don't have the relevant training. Like I remember when I had to call the police out a few times and there was an Asian officer who was like, yep, I'm well aware of these issues. You know, it happens. It's very common in Asian households. And then, um, you know, he knew what, he kind of knew this happens, but you know, the empathy, the sympathy, the support isn't there. And then you have uh, non-Asian ones who come out and they're like, yeah, this is a uh, domestic matter. And are you thinking like, I really wish you would kind of uh, understand my situation, but they don't because they're not trained in it. They don't, it's almost like domestic violence is not important enough to be on an agenda a part of an agenda of training for the police and I, and you know there'll be specialist forces that deal with domestic violence but it actually should be across the board
0: mm. yeah because it could happen to anyone
2: anywhere everywhere exactly really. Exactly. They have to, you know, you have a call out. It's going to, you know, your 999, a call out, it's going to be a, a PC who's going to come out to your house. It's not going to be a specialist straight away who, who has mm. been trained in domestic violence. It's just going to be PC. So, um, you know, they also need to be trained in that aspect as well. Um, you know, and it's like even with, I don't know, if I, I was told by um, a few police officers as well that, you know, you can, you can put a red alert on your property and your telephone number. So, if a phone call ever comes in, because I remember once when my ex turned up at my house, it took 25 minutes for the police to come. Whilst my ex is standing outside telling me that he's going to kill me because he's got a gun. And I told the police that as well, but it still took the police 25 minutes to come. And when they came, they said, You know, you do, you know, you need to appreciate that we've had cuts in the police and all of that. And I'm saying, I totally understand that. But had he shot me dead, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you right now. And um, and you know they, they were explaining to me that you know you should put a red alert on your house. We can do that for you now. Um, and, and that basically, you know, when I call there, when I call nine nine nine, the alert will pop up that this is a victim of domestic violence. And it was almost like it will put me in a on a higher priority list. Obviously, not before. Um, you know if someone's dying or something like that, not before that, mm. but you know um it would bump me up the list a little bit when they're dealing with um, home visits so yeah there's
0: so many so many things that an individual has to learn in order to protect another life really um, and that's I think when we spoke about um language barriers i think one that was one of the things that we did as an organization ourselves was to try and put together that translation Mm. um and recently we've just released Mm. a book called mental health oh yeah yeah i actually read that on your page yeah and it's it does actually give the abilities for people to seek support and have that conversation um so yeah if you ever do come across anybody who who is struggling with a language barrier and is seeking Mm. support that might be a good resource for them to to look into because we know charities across the board really struggle Mm -hmm. to try and get a translator in at hand
2: um definitely definitely it's um it's you know what you know what it is though. i i find that um you, you know, you say to some. So you say to somebody who's going through domestic violence and you can't speak English. You say to them, right? Okay, uh, here's a support network for you. You know, they're screaming out to you for help. You say, mm-hmm. here's a support network for you. Don't worry, they've got a translator. There yeah. will then be another but as to why they will not contact them. You then alleviate that as well, but then there will be another but as to why they won't contact them. So it's almost like um, we will give every excuse in the book as to why we want help, but we'll give every excuse for and some why we can't have the help. And yeah,
0: we'll there's the, there is a, there's a blockage when someone's scared and yeah. trying to find uh, that right there's
2: support. Def- there's definitely that fear factor in a lot of people, definitely that. But I think, I was speaking to somebody yesterday um, and she touched upon something that, I thought was you know what bang on sometimes which is a lot of us when we are going through things like domestic violence or you know other issues such as you know relating to those where you know you're a victim of some sort of abuse um sometimes we become so used to being the victim that we don't want to change that status so Mm. we don't we don't want to get the help that is required to become, to change from being a victim to a survivor. We want to retain that title of a victim because it makes us feel better, because we like the attention that we get. We like the way somebody says, um, Oh, you know what? I'm re- I feel really sorry for you. I'm so sorry about having to go through this. Um, and you will find that there are some people who, you know, not in a malicious way, just in a, you know, in the aspect that their mental health is suffering, that they still believe that it's better for them to be the victim than to become a survivor out of it.
0: There's, there's so much more that some, that we all need to learn as individuals and human beings in helping one another. Mm, um, yeah, definitely. And even as being just being self-aware as well of how we're feeling and what we need to do for ourselves. And as you mentioned earlier, I think in trying to save and fix someone, you lost who you were and who you are. Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. I, I remember one of the first words my mum said when, um, when I left him, he, he got in touch with my parents. And, um, and one of the first things my mum said to him was, look what you've done to my daughter. This is not the daughter that i sent to you when she got married this is not the girl um and 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 he had no response to that mom said this is not my daughter this is not the girl that i handed over to you 7 8 years ago and um like i said he had nothing to say to that and it and it's and, and i used to to, i used to think to myself like how you know like how did i become this person who was very outspoken, stood my ground. You know, I, I would get into a disagreement or a debate with anybody if I strongly felt if I felt so strongly about a subject, uh, I would get into a debate with somebody and I will make sure that they understand my point of view as well as listen to theirs. I'll make sure they understand why I feel so strongly about something. I went from that to becoming such an introvert where I would, I would literally, like, I, I would have moments where uh, I think it this was me when I was in denial about being in depression, uh, I would have moments where I would just stop talking to my family. Like, and, because he'd manipulated me into thinking that, um, you, even, you know, sometimes you have disagreements within your family, with your brothers, sisters, parents, whatever it is. He'd mm. manipulate me into thinking that it's bigger than what it actually is and almost make me think like they're all out to get me. They're all against me. I'm the black sheep. And, um, and, and listening to that, actually believing that, I used to switch off from everybody. I used to block everybody in my phone, all my family. I used to block them in my phone. I used to leave group chats, everything. They'd all try and contact me, but I wouldn't be interested. I wouldn't talk. I think the longest I went was about six weeks without speaking to my parents, my sisters, my cousins, anybody, my friends, everybody. I had to cut everybody off because I thought everybody, the whole world was against me. Because that was what I was led to believe. So, that kind of impact, that's the kind of impact it has on you where even if you wanted to go to those people, you can't because you've, in your mind, you've made up a story that, they, that you can't go to them. And you start to believe everything that's been told to you. You start to believe those stories you've created in your mind as well.
0: Hmm. Is, you, you see, you have come such a long way. And um, I'm actually really honoured to share your story um, and journey on the Seat Forgiveness platform.
2: No, thank you, to, thank to you, to you for to it give that hope me.
0: to to so many out there, and to see this, to hear the strength in your voice and the 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 drive to want to be that light for somebody, and to say, you know, it's okay to to feel how you feel and you're not at fault and what you feel is valid. Mm. Um, is there anything that you would like to say to, to the listeners
2: who's going to be li- listening to the podcast? Um, I think it's, um, oh, what I would like to say is one, thank you for listening. Um, and thank you to yourself as well for approaching me to um, do this podcast. So I feel just as honored as you. Um, I would like to say to people, if you are experiencing domestic violence or you are experiencing any form of abuse, please talk to somebody. Um, even if it's a stranger, even if you want to message me on my page um, to speak to me, to offload, get advice, whatever it is, I'm not a professional, but by God, will I go out of my way to help you. Um, but you know, to families of individuals as well, recognise the signs, don't brush these things under the carpet because you're creating a bigger monster. Um, And, you know, I don't believe anybody's life is worth um, the honour that we're trying to carry. So if we're trying to carry an honour that everything is great and, you know, honour of our family, you know, creating this false pretentious lifestyle that we're supposed to be following when actually there's people who are breaking down in their homes they are going into states of depression that is it's not worth that risk it's not worth a person's livelihood um so i would really encourage individuals to be very a lot more open about taboo subjects such as domestic violence um and to use platforms to get you know their opinions across to share their support whatever you know even if it's you, you read something on somebody else's page that you find that you relate to or you don't relate to, share it. All you're doing is helping somebody else raise awareness. You don't know that it might just be one individual who reads a post and, and for them it hits home and they do something about changing their negative circumstances. Hmm,
0: for sure. Um, thank you so much, Zaki, for joining us and um i wish you um, all the best and lots of love and mm-hmm. blessings and if we can help you with anything um with your, your your story your journey if we can support anybody that comes into contact with you we have a great team on hand who have also experienced domestic violence as well mm-hmm. who have, have seeked professional support um who they might be able to connect with it would be an honor for me to connect you to both um even so and have the conversation on how you guys can help a lot more who are struggling out there um just a final message from us is you are not alone in what you are going through and please seek support if you are struggling or experiencing any form of domestic abuse or violence or struggling with poor mental health thank you
1: if you've enjoyed this podcast we'd like to donate to seek forgiveness you can donate at ko-fi.com forward slash forgiveness for three pounds please do share the link and donate if you can all funds raised go back towards Sick forgiveness projects thank you